I would invite you to turn with me to the book of Philemon, that little book in between Titus and Hebrews and James. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. Go ahead and make your way there as we continue in this one-paged letter from the Apostle Paul to his friend Philemon. Well, it is that time of year, and I'm not talking about graduation open houses or the end of the school year or summer that is quickly approaching, but I'm talking about something that's been going on all year long that nobody even cared about up until this moment, and that is the NBA playoffs. They're here, and everybody's watching them, and some of you are thinking, I'm not watching them, and I hate when people use sports illustrations. Okay, this is such a phenomenal shot that Fox News was reporting on it, the Today Show was reporting on it, I think even NPR was reporting on this, and one has said when NPR reports on sports, it's like seeing dad in shorts, right? It's just weird. (laughs) But here it is, it's Kawhi Leonard, And he is uh, taking a shot. He's at a point of desperation. It's game seven. Everything is on the line. Pressure is on. It's do or die. The ball has been inbounded, and it is in his hands. And here's what happens. There it is. It goes in takes four bounces before it does. It's like, it looks short. What is actually going to happen here? How is it going to turn out? Christian hip-hop artist Lecrae posted a picture of this, and he says, this is the picture of me waiting on God to work. Now I'm seeing all my haters coming after me. This is probably the best part of this whole thing is the shots that were caught in between him watching if this shot was going to go down. One commentator said the most impressive thing about this whole night was that Kawhi Leonard could play a whole game of basketball and then do a full squat afterwards, right? (laughs) But what is he doing? He's watching, waiting, tongue out. How is this all going to shake down? How is this ever going to work? That ball is certainly not going in, and then it does. There are times in life when all of us find ourselves in this situation, wondering what is going to happen. Sometimes it turns out like Kawhi, and you see this next picture of him with the celebration of winning, but there were many before this that he did miss. And I think the ones that he missed made this one all the sweeter. In effect, the ones that he missed were for his good as it made him a better player as a result. Now, I want us to all think about this place where we're watching, waiting, seeing what is going to happen in our lives, what is going to take place. Romans 8 verse 28 tells us, and we know that for those who love God, all who, for those that who love God, all things work together for, say it with me, good. For those who are called according to his purpose. God is working, bringing about what is good from his perspective, what we ultimately need, and accomplishing his purposes in your life and in the world. The bottom line this morning is God sovereignly works for our good and his glory. God sovereignly works for our good and his glory 
glory. So as we get into this real story that has taken place, we see the working out of God's sovereign plan throughout the lives of Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. And as we read this, I pray that our hearts would be stirred and encouraged to glory and trust the sovereignty of God. That is his plan that he has mapped out for each and every one of our lives and his plan for the world. Because I tell you what, I love the sovereignty of God. It brings me so much security and so much worship as I contemplate on it. So as we contemplate it this morning, may it inspire us to do the very same thing. We're going to start back in verse 13 just to give us a little context of where we're at. The Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this, I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent, so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me, but even more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord, verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, accept him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So just a little recap for us. Onesimus was a slave to Philemon. Slavery was different back then. Don't think about American slavery. It was different. But he, is un- he steals from him and then runs away and flees to Rome, where he finds the apostle Paul. And as he's talking with Paul and in a relationship with him, Onesimus comes to know Jesus. He places his faith in Christ. But now it's time for him to go back and return to his master, Philemon. Now we've been asked, but just imagine this scene right here. Everyone is shocked as Onesimus walks in that front door. They're watching and waiting, and he's got two letters with him, one Philemon and the other Colossians. And word is spreading around the home that he's back. And there's one guy that comes walking in that has no ideas and working in the field. He's like, hey, everybody, what's going on? They're like, shh, Onesimus is back. He's like, oh, my, this is a really big deal. And then he says in verse 15, Perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time so that you might have him back perfectly. God sovereignly works for our good and his glory through our circumstances. Perhaps this has happened for a reason that we cannot see. Now the word perhaps there, Paul is not questioning that God is in control, that God is sovereign of all things. He knows all plans, but what Paul is saying is, I don't know exactly how God works fully. I know that he does, and just maybe he is working behind the scenes in a way that we did not expect. Maybe the reason that Onesimus left for a short time was that he would get saved, and then he would come back to you forever. God knows all things. Sometimes I feel like my dentist knows all things. I visited just the other week, and I was uh, flossing the whole week before getting ready for my visit, like flossing like never before, right? And I sit down in the chair, I open my mouth, and he goes, oh, I see you have not been flossing. Oh, come on, right? 
They feel like they know everything, but it's by evidence that they know it, by looking into your mouth. God knows everything because he's God and he plans out everything and lays it out for us. And this is seen all throughout the scriptures. Isaiah 37, verse 26, it tells us this. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from the days of old what now I bring to pass. So we see in this verse that God ordains all things. He plans all things and he brings it about. He supplies the means to his ends. Isaiah 46, verse 10 says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. Paul is familiar with Isaiah. He knows the rest of scripture as well. And his own writings affirm God's sovereign plan over all things. In fact, when he's writing to the church in Ephesus, in chapter one, verse 11, this is what he says. In him, we have an, we have an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So what things does God work out all things according to who, whose will? His will. He does not adjust his plan to us, but he works his plan through us. So why? Because God sovereignly works for our good and for his glory. So he's bringing about what is best for us and he gets the praise as a result. So Paul is saying for a short time, he's, been, he's had to leave you and he's come back to you now, and he's not just a mere slave anymore, but he's your brother in Christ. Look at him. You're going to be worshiping Jesus with him forever in glory. Let that sink in, Philemon, as you read this. So Onesimus, was he wrong? Yeah, he was. He stole. He ran away. Yet God worked through his bad decision to bring about good. See, God takes even our bad decisions, our sins, and works them out to bring about what he desires. Now, does God want you to sin? No, does he want me to sin? Absolutely not. But is he able to still bring about his goodness through our sinful choices? Yes, we ourselves cannot mess up God's plan. His purposes always prevail no matter what happens. That's why some of you who are students here, you went through with Jared and with Andrew a life of Joseph's study on Wednesday nights. And you came to Genesis chapter 50 where Joseph says, after all he's been through, what you meant for evil. God meant for good. Paul says, both in the flesh and in the Lord, you're not only getting back another worker who is able to work, but you're gaining a brother in Christ. Do you ever take time to recount how God has sovereignly worked in your life? It's a good exercise to do if you haven't. Just write down the events, past and present, and how God has been working through it. It will inspire you. It will show you areas that you've forgotten about that God is sovereignly working in you. I was doing that a little bit this week, thinking about my upbringing and my family and how grateful I was for them. I thought about my 2.1 high school GPA also. Yeah, you heard that right, 2.1. I thought about all that and the things that God had brought me to, and I thought about my life verse in accordance with that GPA that God often chooses the foolish of the world to shame the wise. 
Not many of you were of noble birth. Not many of you were wise brothers, but this is shame the strong, right? My, that's what my life, my other life verse is, I rejoice all the more in my weaknesses so that Christ's power can rest on me, right? Joke's on you this morning that I'm up here teaching. <laughs> then I think about how I met my wife Mandy in college. I think about that my roommate was dating her roommate, and we became friends and got to know each other and began dating. I think about when I graduated from college, and it was a very hard time financially. We had a miscarriage during that time, but during those hardships, God was igniting in my heart a zeal and a passion for his word. I remember my call to come to Sailorville 10 years ago. And thinking about everything that transpired for that to happen. That Jason Jackson was originally asked to be the youth pastor at Sailorville, and he said, not right now. Eventually, God in his sovereignty brought him here, and he's on staff now, right? Well, after Jason, there was at least 10 other guys that interviewed as well before they got to me, and now here I am, right? I think about the joy and the privilege that I had of being the youth pastor here, partnering with parents to make disciples of Christ who love his church, see more students be more like Jesus. And what a joy that was with the ups and downs of the whole thing. And now I think about my life right now and what's brought me to this moment. I don't know what God has plans for me for the rest of my life, but I trust him that he does know even though I don't. Because why? God sees the end from the beginning. I can only see the beginning up until now, but God sees it all, past, present, and future. And he's working in your life. He's working in my life. He's showing me areas that don't look like him. He's taking some horrible past experiences that you've gone through, some mundane things that you've gone through. And he's saying, even in your present life, it doesn't feel like things are good right now, and they're probably, perhaps not. But God is saying, you can trust me that I am working in your good, even when it doesn't feel like it. I have the future and your life in my hands. Good. God is working all things for good. That doesn't mean Ultimately, good means some kind of material possession. It doesn't mean that we're going to get everything that we want. It's good according to what God knows is best for us and for his purposes. Does God give us good things? Yes. Does he often give us possessions? Yes, he does. Does he bless us through prosperity? Absolutely he does. But good does not mean only through prosperity. There are churches, and even in our Des Moines metro, that teach that God only wants to bless you through prosperity, that his desire is not for you to ever suffer. This is not the message of the Bible. This is not the gospel. In fact, it's anti-gospel because the gospel is good news. And a news that says you're going to have everything you want in this life and no hardship will is not good news because the message of the gospel is sometimes you get that, but ultimately it's about you being right with God and being able to stand before a holy God. Not your problems in this life being taken care of, but your problem of sin that you need to desperately have taken care of before God. And Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That is the beauty of the gospel. Your trials and your sufferings in the meantime are not meaningless. They are for your good. For you to come through and say, God is so good. 
in the midst of tears, in the midst of pain, we say, I still trust him. I know he is working this for my good. And I'm not just going to hang in there until it's over. I'm going to grow while I'm in there. Because some of the best blessings from God come in the midst and through suffering. Did you hear that? Some of the best blessings of God come through and in the midst of suffering. Does God want to bless you? Yes, but perhaps not always the way we'd like him to, but a blessing for sure. You see, if we think that we aren't supposed to go through trial, that when we do, we might start to think that something's wrong with us, right? What about the persecuted Christians around the world? Am I doing something wrong? Why am I going through these trials? The slight things that are going on in our lives, we think I'm only supposed to get blessing from God. We think that we've done something wrong. Well, Peter speaks to this in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something were strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He says, don't be surprised, first of all. And in the midst of those, rejoice. Now that, that's tough, isn't it? That's difficult, that's hard. But it's in light of the glory that is going to be revealed. Romans chapter eight says, these slight momentary afflictions are preparing us for the glory that will be revealed. It's preparing you to enjoy the glory of God in all its fullness. So in your life right now, God is not in heavens wringing his hands saying, what's going to happen next? What's going to go on next? No, he has your life in his hands and his purposes for your life. Now, it's important to notice here that when Onesimus came to know Jesus, the punishment for his sins were not completely gone right? The punishment for his sins were completely gone. I'm sorry. In Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in him, right? The punishment for his sins was completely wiped away because now he has a relationship with Jesus, but the earthly consequences of his sins still remained. Here's what I mean. Paul doesn't say to Onesimus, hey, that whole running away from your master thing, don't worry about it. You're a Christian now. None of the rest of that stuff matters. No, He says, now that you're right with God, you need to be right with men. Coming to Christ doesn't put away your moral obligations. He still had consequences in his life before he came to know Christ. So Paul says, you need to go back and make things right with him. As you think about your own life, you think about my punishment is gone in Christ, but yet there's someone that I need to reconcile with. There are still things in this life that there's issues that I need to take care of just like Onesimus did, and just like I had to. I've been through a lot of different things where I've been free from punishment, but the circumstances of my life still remain. One of those was when I was in seminary. Several years ago, I was, um, had a 4.0 in seminary, and as I already shared with you, my high school GPA, this was a pretty big accomplishment for me. And in many ways, I felt validated. And I was taking a final online at home And I remember uh, getting to one question that I did not know the answer to and I should have. And I thought, just for this one question, I'll go take a peek at my study guide. I went and got my study guide out of the trash I had already thrown away and looked at one question and then put it back in and turned in my test. And that night, I knew that I was a Christian. 
because the Holy Spirit's conviction was heavy on me. He was pointing at my chest and saying, Brad, you cheated. God is not happy with your choice. And I cried out to God and I, I sought his forgiveness and it was given to me. But the Holy Spirit also, and through his word, says, now you need to take care of the consequences that still remain. You have to suffer those consequences in this life. And so I had to go to my professor and say, I cheated. And I went from having an A in the class to getting a zero on my final and dropping down to a C minus. Now, does God still work through all that? Yeah, absolutely he does. I don't screw up his plan, but it doesn't mean that I don't have to take care of the things that I've done. God gives us the opportunity now in the midst of our circumstances to be different as a result of knowing him. That's what I love about so many of the baptisms we hear here. We hear so many of them say, my circumstances in my life have not changed. The same issues still are there. The same problems that I had before I came to know Christ are still present, but I've changed in the midst of them. I'm a different person. I respond to those consequences in my life differently. So oftentimes, those consequences still remain. Our sinful world still remained and is present, but our status before God towards sin, our mindset in a sinful world now changes. Our trials are not meaningless. God is using them to bring about his good for his glory so we can look at him and say, I don't understand right now, but I know one day I will, and I know this is good for me. God sovereignly works for our good and his glory, oftentimes through friends. This series, we're looking at different aspects of friendship all throughout here. Often God works his purposes through people in our lives. You know, it was no accident that Onesimus went to Rome and found Paul. It was no accident that Paul saw him and said, I'm going to enter into his life, into his situation where he's struggling. And I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to help him and see his need to go back to, to Philemon. Now, you can imagine, he's probably like, oh, I don't know, do we really need to do that? This things seem okay. He's like, no, you need to go back there. And he was able to, for God to sovereignly work into his life. You know what? They became friends after Paul led him to Christ. Maybe some of your greatest friends are ones that don't know Jesus yet. I had the opportunity to lead a student to Christ when he was in high school, to see him grow throughout college, to be able to baptize him in college. And then when he was all done, to do premarital counseling with he and his wife, to marry them, and then to invite them into our cell group. And several years of building into them and our friendship growing beyond youth pastor to friend. And then I started to, now at the end of this year, we're passing off our cell group to them with a co-leader as well. And we're rejoicing about God, how God is working in their lives. Our friendship was forged because of the gospel. Perhaps when it comes to friendship, and we talked to a lot of people, and many people say, I don't really have any true friends. Let me submit to you that one of the best ways to have a great friend is by serving. Some of my greatest friendships came as a result of serving with other people in ministry. Serving the Lord knitted us together and brought us together and a great relationship was forged. So be thinking about that. Where can I serve with other people? 
Even just looking at Coffee Cove today and the many different uh, people that were serving in there with the cell group and the joy and the fun that they were having, at least it looked like anyway. I don't know what it was like in the kitchen, but it looked like it on the outside. But here's a little bonus for you too. My wife and I ended up dating as a result of serving together. So we were at a church in Pennsylvania and I heard that Mandy Grice was over the twos and threes. And in that moment, God ignited in my soul a passion for twos and threes that didn't exist before. <laughs> and we began to serve together. Now we're going on 14 years, baby. Praise the Lord, right? God sovereignly working all of that out through serving. Now, when you think about your cell group as well, now, you can't force friendships. We know that. That's a fact. But it doesn't mean it can't happen in cell groups. I've been encouraged so much by the people in my cell group encouraged so much as we have moved houses together. Some of them we moved like three times. It's like, seriously, it's gotta be the last time you move, right? But we're still having such a good time serving together outside of even the conversation time. And just a couple weeks back, we had our final communion together as a cell group. And we had mixed emotions as we said, we're moving on and some people are going on to a new group, some to a new city. And what a joy it was to have this time together as friends. And I want to ask you this morning, who is your Onesimus? Who is someone as an older person that you look at their life and say, I can come in and befriend this person. I can help them make sense of things, to enter into their conflict with them and help them grow. You know, I think so often we think, what kind of friend do I want? But the, really the question should be, what kind of friend can I be? And who is your Paul? I would imagine, and we know that there's an age gap between Onesimus and Paul. They weren't probably peers, but they had a great friendship, a partnership, serving together in Christ. Do you have someone that's speaking into your life that's not just a friend to have a good time with, but an encourager to make you more like Jesus? Yes, God does work for our good and his glory in our circumstances, through friends, and perhaps no greater than in the gospel. God sovereignly works for our glory, for his glory and our good through the gospel. Acts 2, verse 23 says this, Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan, you see that, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So who was it that killed Jesus? People, right? But was it ultimately people? Is that why it happened? No, first of all, it was ordained by the definite plan of God. So the cross and the gospel was not God's plan B. It was ordained by God for it to happen and carried out by people. And it was for and is for our good that we can have our sins forgiven, be given a new identity, and be reconciled to God for our good and for his glory. On the cross, Jesus' perfect love and his justice meet. Sin does not go unpunished, and his love is put on display by giving his very son. The cross is the very center of God's glory. That's where he is most glorified. So it's interesting, though, that Paul doesn't mention the cross in this letter. 
Isn't that strange? In fact, Timothy Mackey tells us that Philemon is the only letter where Paul does not mention the cross or the resurrection. Instead of the message being told, it is clearly illustrated. We see a beautiful picture of the gospel in the letter to Philemon. Let me unpack this for us for just a moment here. And if you're a Christian, listen. This is not just for people who don't know Jesus. We need to never move on from the gospel of Christ and be strengthened by it every single moment of the day. First of all, God works. He was orchestrating the events of your life to bring you to himself, just like he was orchestrating the events in Onesimus' life. Just as Onesimus went from being a slave to a beloved, so have we. He says, I don't want you just to consider him a slave anymore, but a brother. Don't give Philemon his previous status back. Give him a better status than he already had. Paul says, if you consider me a partner, welcome Onesimus in the same way you'd welcome me. Treat him like you would treat me. If I was coming to you, you would not put me in the slave shed. You would put me in your house. I want you to do the very same thing. And that's the same thing that happens to us in the gospel. God doesn't save us and then leave us morally neutral. No, he gives us the perfect obedience of Christ, makes us his children, makes us his beloved, adopts us, forgives us, transforms us, and seals us with the Holy Spirit. It's so much better than what we once had. I was running with a friend the other day, and he began to tell me about another friend who his son had broken a ceiling fan in their house. And it, the son knew, I gotta pay for this thing. And so they go out, father and son, and they get in the car, and they think they're gonna go to Menards or something else to pick up a new ceiling fan, and the son's gonna pay for it. But instead of pulling into Menards, they pull instead to an ice cream shop. And the dad buys his son ice cream. What is that an illustration of? Grace, is it not? Being given, he knew what he deserved and was given exactly what he did not deserve. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. Jesus was treated as we deserved to be treated so that we could be treated like him. Standing before the Father with no shame, no disgrace, no fear because of Christ Jesus. We're part of the beloved and partnered together. Koinonia is the word partner here. It's the same one he used early on. That means fellowship, mutual sharing. That's what we have in Christ, in his church, in the family of God. But how? This doesn't seem right. Onesimus just gets all of this? How is he able to not get what he deserved and to act like nothing happened? The answer is found in verse 18. Look at it with me. And if he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Paul isn't saying don't act like nothing happened. If he's wronged you or he owes you, which was both, by the way, charge it to me. I will pay it. I will assume his debt. And a beautiful illustration here of Philemon illustrating to us the father in the gospel who had been wronged, who had been stolen from. Onesimus is a picture of us. We've wronged against God. 
We deserve punishment because of our sin and what we desperately need is forgiveness and restoration. Paul here is a picture of Jesus Christ who doesn't sweep our sins under the rug, doesn't say nothing ever happened, but what he does is he charges our sin to his account as if he committed the sin. He assumes our debt. He says, I'm going to take what they owe and I'm gonna pay their price so that you can be restored to God. Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14 says this, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Look at that for just one second, okay? I mean, really stare at that. Look at how amazing this is. I'm gonna read it again. This is what Christ has accomplished for us in the gospel. God, that has made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all, all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Whoa! God is good, is he not? Oh my, we just sung this morning, I sin not in part, but the whole, not part of my sin, the whole thing. It's not my sin was nailed to the cross, part of it, and then I worked really hard to be received by God with the rest. No, my sin not in part, but the very whole of it was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. If that doesn't move you, I don't know what will. May we rehearse these, things, rehearse these things over and over again. And for those of you that don't know Christ, let me just put it very simply. Our sin leaves us guilty before a holy God. We owe a debt that we could never pay. God could not sweep it under the rug of the universe like it never happened. That would not be just. Jesus assumes our debt and we are forgiven and given freedom through faith. That is to believe that Christ took our place on the cross, took our sins upon himself, and rose again. Yes, God sovereignly works for our good and his glory through our circumstances. I know some of you are out there and you're still in that place looking up and thinking, how is this ever going to work? Can we pray for you today? Would you talk to someone? Say, I'm still struggling to see how this is supposed to work out for good in my life. Could we encourage you to that end? Charles Spurgeon says, the greater our struggles, the louder our song will be in the last. That's where the true glory comes from. That's where we're being prepared for. God sovereignly works not only through our circumstances, but for our good and his glory through our friends. What kind of friend are you? Are you a gospel-type friend like Paul? Do you need to be poured into like Onesimus? Not so much what kind of friend could I have, but what kind of friend can I be to someone else? And God sovereignly works for our good and his glory in the gospel. And who knows? I don't know how God works, but perhaps in his sovereignty, He's bringing you all the experiences of your life, all the ups, the downs, and the in-between. A friend that's invited you. 
you starting to search out the things of God. Perhaps he's bringing you in his divine plan to this very moment so that you'll come to know Jesus Christ. If you place your trust in him, all your faith that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that he rose again, you will be saved. Won't you do so today? And is there someone that you need to reconcile with, to go back to, to make things right as a believer, as a Christian? Won't you do so today as well as far as it depends upon you? Father in heaven, thank you. I thank you for this beautiful text, this beautiful letter that so many different things are captured in it. Friendship, forgiveness, reconciliation. God, I do pray for the one right now that has some kind of sickness, some kind of heartache, is struggling to see, can this really be good? I pray you comfort them today, God of all comfort. I'll pray for the one that's here that uh, needs to be reconciled to someone, just like Onesimus was to Philemon. May they do so. God, I pray for the one that doesn't know you, and perhaps today you brought them here to trust you, or to have this be a process of coming to know you and starting with today. We thank you for your goodness to us, God, and your plan in our lives. In Jesus' name, we ask all these things. Amen.